You are listening to the San Antonio Zen Center Dharma Talks. The San Antonio Zen Center is supported solely by donation, so that everyone can participate in our offerings and programs, regardless of income. If you are able, please consider making a donation to SAZC through the donation button on our site, sanantoniozen.org, or by visiting paypal.me slash sanantoniozen. Thank you for your practice and enjoy the talk. Good morning. Good morning. Welcome back, Melody. Good to have you back. Debbie, welcome back. Welcome back to all of us. It's a miracle we made it here. Since we're in the, we are, I think almost in the holiday season. I think the stores are quick to remind us that we are in it, but calendrically, it's next week. Um, as we were sitting zazen this morning, um, coming into the holiday season. Uh, as I was sitting in Zazen this morning, I began feeling a lot of thanks for someone that you may not know or may not have even heard of. Um, his Chinese name was Dai Yang Jingxuan. And back a long time ago, he was the, the last member of the Soto School. Our school was in serious decline at that point in China, and he was the last person. Uh, and he had no uh, disciples that he deemed ready to receive transmission and to carry on the tradition. So he did a really radical thing. He went to a Rinzai teacher and said, can I entrust this to you? And the um, Renzai's teacher's name was uh, Fushan Fayuan. Um, and so this, this uh, Soto priest gives Dharma transmission to a Renzai priest and says, please pass it on if you would. So out of this uh, amazing act of generosity, this Renzai priest uh, transmits three students to carry on the Soto tradition. So I've always had a lot of appreciation for the Renzai school, even before I was aware of this story. Uh, whenever Roko Osho Sherry Chayat would come to Austin Zen Center, it was always just a pleasure to sit with the Renzai group and to have Doksan with her and to meet with her. And so um, we never know where how, how practice is going to flourish and abound and um, what gifts we continue to receive just because of the generosity, just out of the generosity of one person way back when. So what's the difference between Soto and Rinzai, I recall? Oh, we'll talk about it at the end. Okay. 
So what I wanted to, to talk about today uh, is the paramita of patience. And that is uh, kshanti. So the, the paramitas are the perfections. Uh, perfections of practice. And there are six of them, and you'll see them in the... In the um, no, not in the bathroom, that's the precepts. Um, there's a... a um, there's a little poster with the with the uh, paramitas. I'll find it and frame it, and we'll put it up in here. But uh, the, the the perfections of practice. So you know the word paramita from the very end of the Heart Sutra, right? Prajna paramita, so the perfection of wisdom, which is the name of the chant. Perfection of wisdom. So there is dana paramita, which is as we know as generosity. There is sila which is morality, ethics. There's kshanti, which is commonly translated as patience. And there's virya, which is energy, uh, zeal, or, or zeal. Uh, there's dhyana, which is what we do here, meditation. And then there's prajna, which is wisdom. So I'm just going to speak on the one today. So, as I said, it's, uh, Kishanti is often translated as patience, but it can be uh, forbearance, is how Aiken Roshi looks at it, and endurance is kind of my favorite way of looking at it. Um, in Kennedy Roshi's school, they say, delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to endure them. So we can think of it as atlas, right? Carrying the weight of the world, that terms of endurance. Or we can think of it as outlasting them. Like an endurance race, outlasting the distance. Like if, if you're a runner, right? So outlasting uh, delusions. And the kanji for the word patience is actually a sword over the character for sheen, so heart, mind. Mm. Um, in one sense, it can feel kind of heavy. There's this sword hanging over your heart. <laughs> but actually, another way to look at it, and one way I would encourage it, is uh, being a spiritual warrior. And we actually have a, a really good model up here on the altar with Manjushri and his sword cutting through the fog of delusion, helping to awaken us. So in our, in our lineage, we say, in faith that we are Buddha. Right? But whenever we sit, we say, in faith that we are Manjushri, in faith that we are indeed spiritual warriors. Uh, as, and as you know, to do this practice is not for the faint-hearted. Uh, so it, it, it takes a lot of uh, resiliency. And there are three aspects to patience as classically looked at in the Dharma realm, and that is the ability to accept personal hardship, 
patience with others, and acceptance of the truth. So with the ability to accept personal hardship, the word really uh, that I would offer is resiliency, is the ability to accept it, to, uh, to endure it. Um, it really means we're talking about a willingness to be transformed by hardship or by difficulties. And the willingness is just isn't uh, uh, so much of, oh, this really sucks right now, but think how much better I'm going to be at the end of it. It's more of meeting, meeting the hardship, willing to feel the pain and the difficulties of the hardship. And thankfully, it's laid out for us in the first noble truth that there, there is suffering. There is suffering. Uh, I think the, the very first book, uh, the second book, the first book I read on Zen was Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, 30 years ago. And then the second one was Kenneth Kraft's um, compilation of essays on, um, it's called Zen Tradition and Transition. That was when I first read about the Four Noble Truths. And when I read the first one, uh, I don't know if any of you have experienced this, reading that there was suffering. There was a feeling of intense physical relief. Because I was suffering a lot at the time. And to have someone point out the elephant in the room was like, oh, so this means I'm not the only one. That was actually the beginning of my affinity. Before Zen Mind Begin, or not so much Zen Mind Beginner's Mind, but just that, uh, just that one, that one book. Just reading that, the first noble truth. Was, oh, there's, there's something here because it actually matches what's happening inside. <clears throat> and Shantideva, uh, when he's talking about accepting personal hardship, accepting hardship. Hardship isn't personal, really, right? It's just hardship. The personal's extra, which kind of compounds the suffering. But Shantideva suggests that we begin with little cares, what he calls little cares. So what another Tibet, what a Tibetan teacher calls bourgeois suffering. <laughs> So the, the daily inconveniences, right? so the slow traffic, the long line in the grocery store, and how how it's looked at is um, this begins the process of inoculation. Is one way to look at this, particularly if we're going to look at this in a medical context, like the Buddha did. Right? Whenever we look at the Four Noble Truths, it almost follows a medical diagnosis which is why one of the names for the Buddha is the, the great doctor. Um, but so beginning the process of by accepting, by 
practicing with little cares and minor inconveniences. This inoculation is it's a really good metaphor because uh, we get the weakened virus. We get the weakened virus and we build up antibodies to it. So when the real thing comes around, we're either immune to it or it doesn't hit us as hard. So these little cares of practicing with the frustration um, of the old guy going really slow in the, in the line in front of you or somebody crawling along in the, in the far left-hand lane when driving, um, practicing with that begins the process of inoculation. This is what's happening. This is what's happening. What's happening in here in response to this? Noticing this. So, um, what happens later over a period of time is uh, we get to practice more with personal hardship. Or we choose to practice more with the more intense hardships. And Shanti Deva says, Heat and cold, the wind and rain, sickness, prison, beatings. I'll not fret about such things. To do so only aggravates my trouble. And Hema Chodron follows it up by saying, Homo sapiens are very good at making matters worse. We've practically perfected it. <laughs> And, and what this brings to mind is talking about prison and beatings. So the stories of the uh, Tibetan monks who were imprisoned by the Chinese, beaten and tortured. And when they escaped, they made their way to India, to Dharamsala, not with the Dalai Lama. And what they reported was <coughs> that... Their biggest fear during the entire time of torture and imprisonment uh, was not death, but fearing losing compassion for their torturers. That they would begin to see them as other, just as they had been seen by the other, as other. So it's a, a really powerful message. In, Christ says this when he's on the cross. Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Doesn't hold it against the Romans, just as Tibetan monks didn't hold it against the tortures. Now, the benefit of all of this, if we're willing to, to look at suffering, at, uh, accepting personal hardship as having a benefit, is that it uh, creates humility, so it brings us back to earth, and kind of temper our pride. Uh, one thing it's really good at is that uh, it arouses sympathy for others. That begins uh, through many, many years of practice. I've known many, many people who aren't or intensely suffering. And there's this kind of moment of awakening around it. Wait a minute, you know, other people are feeling the same way, have had similar difficulties, or what have you. Um, 
So the, there's a, a switch that can occur, a flip that can occur. And the third thing that accepting personal hardship can do for us is it gives us a motivation not to make things worse, not to compound our suffering with more suffering. And I would also add, uh, it also can be a motivation for us to wake up, to wake up from our suffering, to wake up to our suffering, and to wake up to the suffering of others. Patience with others. We've looked at uh, accepting personal hardship, patience with others, which is usually one of the largest, one of the biggest ones, one of the most difficult ones. If you look at the precepts, whether it's the, the Bodhisattva precepts or the Vinaya precepts, it's all about our relationship with others, with, with other folks, about how we're going to be together. So patience with others, looking at it from a bodhisattva point of view, if it's like the bodhisattva vow, where we're going to vow to save all beings, all beings includes us. So this actually also means having patience towards us, towards ourselves. We all have that voice. We all have that voice in our head. Isn't patient. That is judgmental. Uh, So this is a... It's a really good opportunity to have patience with that part of ourselves. One of my favorite Gandhi quotes is during the struggle for Indian independence. He had all the leaders together and there were a, there were a few folks that were uh, advocating violence against British. saying we should kill them. And Gandhi said, I want to change their minds, not kill them for weaknesses that we all possess. So really, what he's pointing to is uh, practicing patience with towards others means also means giving up trying to control other folks. We could even say giving up trying to control ourselves as well, too. Uh, another line that Gandhi had was, uh, uh, quote was he said, my favorite adversaries are the British. I can pretty much get them to do what I want them to do. A little bit harder are the Indian people. But I can usually bring them along. He says, the one, the, the one adversary I have that I have no luck with is a man named Mohandas K. Gandhi. With him, I seem to have very little success. Yeah. Uh, so he was familiar. He knew his own foibles. Uh, but getting up to trying to control others 
is it what he was, a Suzuki Roshi called, if you want to control a cow, you give him a big metal. So you give up trying to control the cow. Right? And when we talk about patience, funny thing about language is just the mere use of language reifies the thing, right? We try to make the word, we try to make the thing fit the word according to our definition of it, or we try to make it real. So when we're talking, when I'm talking about patience, I'm not talking about in the sense of when we're sitting down with someone who's frustrating, for example, and we can just feel the irritation and the frustration coming up. And, you know, we say, oh, I'm trying to be patient. Well, we're really not. We're just voicing a frustration. So true patience is the lack of impatience. So in other words, just presence. Just being present with the person that's there. A good stepping stone for that might be to say uh, to the person, oh, I'm feeling some frustration. Where it's all out there. And we avow that we're working with it. It also depersonalizes. Depersonalizes it as well. Uh, A really good uh, example of this is in chapter one of the Dhammapada. When the very end of the line, or the very end of the chapter, where it says, uh, "Hate is not con- conquered by hate; hate is conquered by non-hate." So it's it's the lack of hate. Uh, it's often translated as love, but um, the translation is actually non-hate. Hate is conquered by non-hate by, by not hating. That's how, that's how we conquer hate or overcome it. A really good example of uh, uh, non-agenda patience is this horseman named Monty Roberts. I don't know if any of you are familiar with him, but he was one of the very first people to train horses, not to break horses. So in the old cowboy way of doing things, you put the saddle on the horse and you rode him until you get thrown off or and then you get back on. But you basically end up breaking the horse's spirit, crushing, crushing the horse. And he actually came up with a method of training the horse to accept a rider. And his method is so successful that uh, it takes about 15 minutes to take a completely untrained horse and train him to accept a rider. He says, but there's kind of a danger in that, because he said roughly 15 minutes is about how long it takes. He says, you can't go into the corral thinking it's going to take 15 minutes, because it'll take all day. If you go in thinking you have all day, it'll take 15 minutes because the horse will sense it. will sense the, the impatience. 
So it requires us to do, like a talk I gave a while while back about taking the long view. That's a really good form of patience, just just to let go of the agenda and work on work on meeting the person that's there, the situation that's there. So, I think one thing I want to say is that this doesn't mean that we practice, uh, that we indulge in what's called blind compassion. Or what I crudely call, you know, becoming a sucker sakba. Um, where we basically let people walk all over us, where we don't set boundaries. Uh, One time, while I was living at Tassahara, there was a a friend of mine that was there, and we were sitting with some other folks having uh, dinner. For some reason, I'm not really sure why, but she started being really mean to me. So, you know, I did what my teacher taught me, and I was like, oof. You know, it's, it's kind of painful. Usually when folks see that, they're like, oh, sorry. You know, didn't realize. But uh, she kept at it. So I thought, okay, I'm out of here. <laughs> <laughs> you know, having patience doesn't mean that I stay around to be a punching bag. Right? Uh, or that we allow someone else to treat someone like a punching bag. We all need a lot of help. We all need a lot of help in terms of working things out. And uh, and if nothing else, uh, Shantideva says, uh, when and when, as victims of defilement, beings even cause their own destruction, even if compassion does not rise in us, we can at least refrain from being angry. So if all else fails, just don't voice any anger. Don't lash out. Don't act out. Just helps uh, helps prevent creating new karma. Because as he also says, all it takes is one flash of anger to wipe out thousands of years of good deeds. <laughs> And this is something that we all know, right? We can have a really good relationship with someone, we can blow up, and then the relationship is completely altered from that point forward. And it's no, uh, I actually think it's no coincidence that uh, in uh, the Bodhicharya Vatara, the way of the Bodhisattva, all of the Shantideva's teachings about patience are under the section entitled anger. Us anger types have a lot to, to work with. You know, lots, of, lots of impatience and frustration to work with. Uh, so it's very helpful to see that. So with the acceptance of truth, this really refers specifically to accepting the Four Noble Truths. It is most specifically what it is. Um, recognizing the suffering knowing the causes of suffering, knowing that there is a way out, and then that 
way out is the noble eightfold path. Otherwise, we're caught into this loop, uh, samsara. And as Mark Twain says, I'm an old man and I've had many troubles, most of which have never happened. <laughs> So the beauty of the of the paramitas, just like with the precepts, is that they're all completely interdependent upon one another. So if we think of patience as presence, just being present with someone, then that presence, the patience, is dana. It's, it's generosity. To whomever, actually, whatever we're, we're present with. And as uh, and we have the, the uh, ethics and the morality, the sila, to help us practice the patience, to help us know what is helpful and what is not helpful. It takes a lot of energy, virya, to come back to the present moment, to come back to come back to the presence, to practice patience, or to practice non-impatience, which we do through dhyana and meditation. And as a result, prajna, wisdom, grows. From, from this. So there's not one paramita without involving all the others. And we'll never perfect it. Even though it's a perfection, we'll never perfect it. Well, it's always going to be a work in progress for us. I can't say I've never known anyone who's endlessly patient. Because that's not always the um, that's not always the skillful thing. Sometimes we need uh, someone to tell us, as the old country saying goes, how the cow ate the cabbage. Right? Tell us the way things are. Or that we are behaving unskillfully. But in doing so, that actually creates trust. That actually creates trust. Trust in our relationships, that the person is trusting us enough to be vulnerable, to tell us something difficult. If we're willing to meet it, to be to have the humility that is talked about. It brings us back to them. Brings us closer together. Helps us awaken together. No separation. Never has been. Can't be. Never will be. We get to live this life, this joyous life, together. We get to practice this amazing practice together. 
given to us by the generosity of one teacher. Well, two teachers. There's the Buddha, and then there's there's Phaeon. Before I ask for questions, I'll... So the difference between Soto and Rinzai, um, the Soto, the really quick way to talk about it, the the Soto, um, it's often called like farmer Zen, so it's like slow-paced, right? Deliberate cultivation. And the Rinzai actually comes from the samurai school, the warrior school. So the the Rinzai, a lot of shouting and running around and and stuff like that, actually, and, and extensive working with koans in the, in the, in the traditional way of uh, meeting a master and presenting your uh, understanding of a koan to him. Uh, our koan study is a bit different in the, in the Soto style, in the Soto style. I don't know if that helps spell in. your relationship with impatience or patience? Who is impatient and who is the one being patient? Or is there there a relationship? 